This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. And with all that's happening and all that's going on, you can sometimes wonder, with all that God has to deal with, does he really know me? Does he really care about me? Do, do I personally matter to God? I want to talk with you about that today because I would tell you that the unqualified answer to that question is yes. You personally matter. Psychologists tell us that before a person who has faced a tragedy can uh, move forward from that tragedy, they have to first understand that they matter, that they matter to someone, that they matter to uh, their family, that they matter to their spouse, that they matter to friends, that they, that they matter to God. In order for you to get your life back on track, in order for you to get your walk with God back on track, you have got to understand one simple thing. You matter. I remember uh, years ago in the church that Carrie and I were pastoring at the time that um, that I said to them one Sunday that I wanted more than anything else when my time on earth is over was for it to have mattered that I had lived. In other words, that I had left an imprint of faith in Christ in the lives of other people. You know, I think that all of us as human beings desire an assurance that the world is going to be a better place because we have been a part of it, because we were in it. But I, I began to think about that, whether we achieve that goal of, of impacting positively our world, whether we achieve that goal or not, largely depends on the choices that we make with our lives. But this is what I want you to understand. As human beings, we all start out in life with, with the potential for our lives to count. I'm not saying we all have the same giftings. I am saying that all of us have the potential for our lives to matter in life. Now, I, I am aware that some people have, have privilege that perhaps other people uh, were not born into. They, they are born into families that give them maybe greater opportunity. And I'm not necessarily here talking about wealth or money, but some people were, were, poor, were born into families with, with wonderful parents. And those parents were great role models to them. Um, some people were born into families with parents who took the time to teach them godly values. And, and who gave them a solid biblical foundation of faith. Uh, that's a wonderful thing. And some people were born into a family where their parents disciplined them and helped them gain an understanding that, the, that life is not just about them, but it's about how they serve and bless other people. All of these things are marvelous. But what I want you to understand is that it doesn't really matter what your history was, whether you were born into that kind of a family or not. What, what is important for you to understand is that even if a person was born with that kind of advantage, they still have to do something with the advantage that they have been given. If they do nothing with the gift, the advantage that they have, then they will impact the world not at all. 
And the opposite is also true. If a person has not been born into that kind of a family and doesn't have that kind of advantage, doesn't have that kind of a blessing, they can still, because of the power of God, make their life matter in the world because he is able to work beyond their unfortunate circumstances of life. The reason is that we are all born with potential to fulfill a destiny that God has for us here uh, in our lives here on earth. So no matter what your history is, whether it was an advantage history or a disadvantaged history, much can still be made of your life if you let Jesus Christ and the Spirit of the Lord take control over your life. So what I'm saying here is that all of us in this room, regardless of our background, regardless of our history, we have potential for significant impact. Because you matter, every one of you matter. It matters that you are here and God wants to use you. Now, I think one of the, the scriptural passages that really declare your, the value of you personally as an individual is Psalm 139. And I want us to look at the first 18 verses of that psalm. This is what it reads. O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit, when I stand, when far away, you know my every thought. You chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment you know where I am. You know what I'm going to say before I even say it. You both precede and you follow me and place your hand of blessing on my head. This is too glorious, too wonderful to believe. I can never be lost to your spirit. I can never get away from my God. If I go up to heaven, you are there. And if I go down to the place of the dead, you are there. If I ride the morning winds to the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me. Your strength will support me. If I try to hide in the darkness, the night becomes light around me. For even darkness cannot hide from God. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are both alike to you. You made all of the delicate inner parts of my body and knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It is amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. Although I do wish you'd have given me a little more hair. <laughs> That's not in there, I just... You were there while I was being formed in utter seclusion. You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. How precious it is, Lord, to realize that you are thinking about me constantly. I can't even count how many times a day your thoughts turn toward me, and when I waken in the morning, you are still thinking of me. Now, in those verses, God gives us some powerful truths that declare our value to him, and I want to just look at three things today. Number one, I want to tell you that God knows you. God knows you better than you know yourself. You and I are masters at hiding our true self from other people, and sometimes we're masters at hiding ourselves from ourselves. But you cannot hide yourself from God. 
He knows you. He knows your heart. Look at verse 1 again. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. Now, that's an amazing thought right there, especially given the fact the number of people who live on this planet right now. I checked on the Internet, and you know everything on the Internet is true. <laughs> I checked on the Internet, and I think this is probably accurate. I don't know why they deceive about this, but I checked to see what the world population is right now, and, and it says on the Internet that the world population is estimated to be 7.4 billion people. Now, billion. Now, America is like almost 20 trillion in debt right now, so trillion is a whole nother level that we can't comprehend, but a billion is even hard to understand. And so I, I read once years ago the definition of a billion, a billion that I've never forgotten. It just made sense to me. And so this is what a billion means. A billion seconds ago was Pearl Harbor. That's a lot of time between Pearl Harbor and today, but that's about a billion seconds ago. A billion minutes ago, Jesus walked on the face of the earth. A billion hours ago was nothing. Nothing existed. But here's one that'll really get you. A billion dollars ago was 2.15 this morning in Washington, D.C. <laughs> That's right. Every two and one quarter hours, our government spends $1 billion of your hard-earned tax money and of what we borrow from China because we can't fund it just from us. So I'm just, just throwing that out there. Um, so every day, Washington, D.C. spends $10.5 billion. Now, that seems amazing to us that that's what a, a billion is, and, there, and yet there are 7.4 billion of us on this planet, and yet this is what I want you to get. God knows you. He knows you personally. Let me ask you, how many people do you know? How many of you would say, I know every person by name in this place today? I'm glad to see there's no liars. <laughs> yeah. Anybody who raised their hand and said they did, probably is pulling your leg. We do not have the capacity to know a lot of people. Um, some people, they brag that they have 1,000 friends on Facebook. Some people have even said, I have 5,000 friends on Facebook. But do they know these people? Well, probably not. It is estimated by those who research these particular things, and again, I got this off the Internet, and everything on the Internet is true, that the average human being with the average size brain, how many of you have an average size brain here? Only a few of you. Does that mean that you have a bigger than average size brain or a smaller than average size brain? Some of you are afraid to raise your hand because you don't know what I'll do with it. But this is just what it says. Uh, the average human being with the average size brain can know about 1,500 people. Now, that's by recognition. That, that means that you can look and see a face and you can say, I know that person from somewhere, but you probably don't know their name. You know, you, you've done that, right? You know, you've seen somebody in a restaurant or in the grocery store or something. I know them. Where do I know them from? Sometimes it might be from America's Most Wanted <laughs> on, on television, you know. And if you would make the right call right then, you'd be a wealthy person, you know. But if you could just remember that you saw them there. Well, anyway, that we can know by recognition about 1,500 people. But of that 1,500, they tell us that we can only know well about five to seven. Isn't that amazing? That, that, that's all we can know well. Now, why is it? It's because 
All relationships require something that each of us only have a limited amount of. How many of you know what that is? Time. That's right. Each of us only have a limited amount of time to give, and therefore, we can't know everyone because to gain and maintain a solid relationship with someone requires time. And for us as human beings, that limits us to about five to seven that we can have at any given time that are very close to us that we know really, really well. But here's God saying to you, I know you. I know your heart. I know what's going on inside of you. That psalm said I, that God knows your thoughts before you know it, that God knows what you're going to say before you ever say it. Everything about you, he knows. He even knows your name. Isaiah 49, verse 16 says, See, I have written your name on the palms of my hand. Isn't that amazing? When you give your life to Jesus Christ and he becomes the Savior and Lord of your life, God imprints current language, tattoos, I guess, your name on the palm of his hand. Now, how is that possible that he can know everybody? It's because he's God. I will confess to you that I do not know everyone because simply put, I am not God. But God can know each of us as intimately, and this is what I want you to get, as intimately as if you were the only person on this planet alive right now. He knows you even with 7.4 million people, billion people, he knows you like you were the only person on the planet. Now, I will tell you that the only people that I know really well are the people that I care enough to know really well. You know, that's the same for God. That really speaks about how much he cares about you and how much he knows you and how much you matter to him because he says, I care enough to know you intimately out of all of these billions of people. I know you. The next time you wonder if God cares about you, read Psalm 139 again. The second thing I would share from you from those verses that we read earlier is that God is with you. You matter because God has chosen to be with you. Verse number seven says, I can never be lost to your spirit. I can never get away from God my God. But again, it's one thing to know someone by recognition. It's quite another to be close to that person. I can tell you that I know the President of the United States, but I can also tell you that I am not close to him. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even know I exist. I know him, but I don't really know him. I know his name. In human relationships, the experts again tell us that they're about well, eight different levels to really knowing someone well that you go through to know someone really well. And these might also be called the growth steps of, of love relationships that we have uh, as human beings. Number one starts with acquaintance, of course. You've got to get acquainted. You bump into that individual. You get acquainted with them somehow or other. That develops into, secondly, friendship. Makes sense. Number three, if, if it's a romantic kind of a situation, it turns into dating uh, number four, it turns into seeing someone, and this is, uh, can be defined as more frequent contact. I'm, I'm seeing her, I'm seeing him. It means that you're with each other more than you were just on a dating level. Number five is commitment. Um, 
now you're starting to say, hey, we're, we're exclusive to one. We're not going to date anybody else. We're not going to see anybody else. We're, we're just going to be with each other. That's commitment. Number six, then, it oftentimes moves into engagement. If you survive the commitment level, it moves then into engagement. And then number seven, sometimes it'll go into marriage itself. And um, number eight, it can go to the level of children. Um, now, when you look at the eight levels of relationship, uh, you see people moving from the most basic level of knowing other people, that of acquaintance, to the deepest level of knowing other people, uh, having children with those people. And, and number eight is not talking about just having sex and having children because you've had sex together. Number eight is talking about having children as an expression of committed love between a husband and a wife. And so when Carrie and I got married, you'll be glad to hear this, we stopped dating other people. <laughs> it's a decision that we actually made to quit dating other people. Why? Because we had decided that God had put us together to commit to one another for a lifetime together, whether the times were good or whether they were tough, whether it's what we expected or whether things came in we didn't expect, no matter what it was, no matter what happened in life, from that time on, she mattered to me more than any other human being on the planet. And the same is true between us and God. You matter so much that God not only knows you, like we talked about earlier, out of the seven 0.4 billion people on earth, but he is also with you. Every step of every day, every detail of every day of your uncertain life, God is with you. He's not distant in heaven somewhere. He is with you. That's what Emmanuel means when the angel said, call Jesus Emmanuel. The name means God with us. Wow. Every single detail, every single day. And so that hard doctor's report, Jesus is with you as your healer. That layoff, the unexpected layoff at work, Jesus is with you as provider. That stronghold of sin that seems to overwhelm you, Jesus is with you as Savior. The death of someone who is close to you, Jesus is with you as comforter. David said it so right in this psalm. I can never be lost to your spirit. Thank God he is with us, even sometimes when we're trying to get away from him. He is with us. The third thing I took out of this psalm is this truth. God has a wonderful plan for your life. In verse 17, it says here that God is thinking about you and me all the time. How precious it is, Lord, to realize that you are thinking about me constantly, constantly. Really? All the time? I will tell you that after Carrie and I got engaged, I thought about her a lot. But I can't tell you that I thought about her all the time. There were things that had to be done that I had to focus on. I don't have the capacity to focus here. Now, women do. But I don't have the capacity to focus here and also focus there. I cannot multitask. Most women I know can do about five things at the same time and do them well. I can't do one thing well at one time, you know, so it's a struggle for me. But at any rate, 
I guess God is kind of like a woman in that regard. He is able to constantly think just about you, just like you, or just about you, rather. So, but this is what I want you to understand. The thoughts of God are, are more than him just thinking about, oh, yeah, uh, Fred, Fred there. You know, oh, yeah, Fred. The thoughts of God include the plan of God for you. Not only does God know you, not only did he know that you would be here and alive on September the 25th, 2016, but get this, he actually planned for you to be here. You're part of his plan. Verse 16 says that the Lord has scheduled each day of your life. Every day was recorded in his book. When you give your heart to Christ and are born into his family, into the family of God, the Lord sets up an, in, an intricate plan for your life that includes knowing the day of your arrival and the day of your departure from this planet. The Old Testament book, it kind of reminded me of the story of Esther. The Old Testament book of Esther tells us about the life of a woman by the name of Esther, a Jewish woman who was living under occupation. In fact, she had been hauled off to the Persian capital. You might remember that, the, that Israel and Judah had been um, conquered by Babylon, and then eventually Babylon was conquered by Persia. And um, so she's living under the, she's a slave. She's living under the rule of the Persian Empire at that particular time. But even as a slave, God's plan for her didn't get messed up. He was going to use her. The Bible tells us that she was outwardly a very beautiful person, and, and her beauty put her into the king's harem. Eventually, long story short, she became queen over the, over the whole kingdom. And as queen, she learned about a plot that was conceived by one of the king's advisors. In fact, it was his number one advisor by the name of Haman. And he had devised a plot whereby he could destroy all of the Jews that were living in the Persian kingdom at that time. She's a Jew, and she realizes this isn't right, and I've got to do something about it. And so Esther, when she learned about this plot, she, she showed up in the presence of the king at the risk of her own life because the way it worked back then, if he's on his throne, the only people that could come and meet him were people he invited if you showed up in there, including the queen, and he hadn't invited you in, and he didn't hold his scepter out to you, you're done. But at risk of her own life, she went in to see the king. Now, the good news is he held the scepter out to her, but she did it because she recognized this. I have been raised up for such a time as this. God, it is God's plan for my life that I be here to save my people from this wicked Haman and from the terrible plot he has put together to destroy all of the Jews. Long story short again, her plan worked so beautifully that instead of the Jews being killed and destroyed, Haman was killed and destroyed. That's the way it worked. What I'm saying to you today is that the same God who shaped the detail of Esther's life moved her from a slave to a queen in order to save the, all of her people is the same God who has a plan for your life and wants to use you no matter what circumstance you find yourself in right now. 
You, have may, you may have been a surprise to your mom and dad, but I want to tell you, you were no surprise to God. He planned for you regardless of the circumstances of your conception and of your birth. I don't know what God's plan is for your life individually. I only know that his plan for your life is beyond anything that you can imagine when you make Jesus Christ the Savior and Lord of your life. And when you're old and you have lived a lifetime serving God's plan, you're going to look back at what God has done for you, but what God has done through you. And you're going to be so glad that you submitted yourself fully to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Now, so God knows you, he is with you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. But this only works, this only happens if you pray the same prayer, if you're willing to say that, pray the same prayer that David prayed at the end of this psalm. I haven't read it to you yet, but this is what it is. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, the sad truth is that not all of you in this room today will live with the favor and blessings of God upon your life and the reason is because you won't pray a prayer like that. Oh, you'll do your religious thing. You'll show up for church once in a while, maybe even give in the offering or whatever. But you won't pray a prayer like that. Whether it's rebellion in your heart, and I just, I just you know, I'll, I'll come to church, I'll sing, whatever, but I'm not going to make Jesus Lord of my life. Whether it's that kind of rebellion, or maybe it's fear inside of you that, God might require something of you if you really sell out to him. Maybe it's unforgiveness in your heart towards other people. So maybe somebody in the church hurt you once and so you've held that against God for all of these years. Whatever the reason, you won't surrender fully to Christ. And because of that, God's plan for you is never fulfilled. It never comes to, into being. It's hindered, and it may never be fulfilled. This is what I want to tell you here as I close. You matter. We've been in this series this whole month where we're talking about what matters. I want you to know that you matter. You matter to God. You matter so much that he knows you by name. You matter so much that he has a wonderful plan for your life. But to enjoy that plan and to enjoy his favor over your life, you've got to be willing to surrender to Jesus all the way. David knew that, and so he prayed, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be some wicked way in me and lead me to life everlasting. And by praying a prayer like that, you open yourself up and give permission to the Spirit of the Lord to search every part of your life. Like I said earlier, we're really good at covering our hearts up, especially in front of other people. 
we can come to church and dress up just right and look real good, but inside be filled with evil. Be filled with justified sin and rebellion. You know that. We can all do that. In fact, the Bible is very clear that we can even fool ourselves. But we can't fool God. And that's why we all need to pray a prayer like that on occasion. Because that gives God permission to go in and look in the cracks and crevices of our soul and, just, and to turn a light on the darkness there. And in so doing, to bring it to our attention so that we can repent of it. And then we can know the fullness of his favor and blessings upon our lives. Now, you will not have to pray that prayer just once. I would submit to you that you'll have to pray that prayer almost every day. Maybe many times a day for some of us. But you keep praying it. I had a guy come up to me after the first service and he said, I have a problem with such and such. I said, man, I don't know what to do. I said, you get into the word of God and you let what it says speak to your heart and you start doing what it says obediently by the power of the Spirit because none of us can do it with, on our own. We've got to have the power of the Spirit helping us. But you do that. You allow the power of the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to begin to control you. And you take prayers like that and you submit that issue in your life to God. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.